This is cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com. This is Friday morning. This is Unradio. This is Unscripted. And this is this morning most definitely uncensored. This show contains adult content. If you find it offensive, please go to the cliffcentral.com website where there's a show for you. Very quiet studio this morning. Tomorrow's not here, so everybody's quiet and peaceful. We miss you tomorrow. I hope you're having a really cool time, and I can't wait for you to come back. So lots happening this weekend in the world of sexuality, and I am here with my old friend, Stephen Treadray from Cape Town. Hi, don't you? Nice to be here. It's really cool. It's been a long time since we have seen each other. It has. Which we are both remissing. I'll speak for myself. I am remissing. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> well, your support there is very appreciated. But it's really, really cool. Our dirty dictionary word this morning is auto-assassinophilia. Any idea what auto-assassinophilia might be? Hmm. Well, assassin sounds very much like assassination. I wonder if it's the uh, desire to assassinate oneself. You're kind of in the ballpark. You are in the ballpark, no question of that. You need to be a little bit more precise, but you're in the ballpark. Okay. So if you know what auto-assassinophilia is, or you think you know what auto-assassinophilia is, WhatsApp us on 079-748-2090. We would love to hear. And we are talking this morning about conscious sexuality, about tantra, about the healing aspects of fetish and kink, about movement, about all sorts of interesting things. So WhatsApp us and... Share with us. We would love to hear. Big party tomorrow night at Fetish Haven. I'm a mask ball. I will be there. So if you're there, come and say hi. It'll be really cool. Um, and no, that's cheating here now. Somebody here is Google and cheating. Okay. People who cheat in the studio get spanked. Okay. There's, those are the rules. Let's just be very clear here. So. Sounds like an incentive. It is. It is, and we do it lots, we do it well, we do it wonderfully, we even have a personalized Cliff Central flogger, paddle, 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 so it actually has Cliff on it, the word Cliff, we have never actually been able, like in, in leather, but we've actually never been able to quite get it to come out right on somebody's butt, <laughs> so after two years we still practice <laughs> I know, that's a good excuse to practice. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. So, let's talk about your journey into this. 
Where did that start? How did that start? My journey with this started with the self-evaluation of, in particular, my relationships that had failed and the role of sexuality in that and realizing that as a early 30-something, I knew very little about sexuality in general and even less about my own sexuality and what I desired or wanted, how to express myself, how to ask for what I want, how to say no. And that lack of knowledge and experience and skill was getting me into trouble and generally making me feel quite bad about how I was behaving as a supposed responsible sexual adult. Mm. So I decided to do something about it. Okay. And what did you do about it? Well, (laughs) (laughs) that took me pretty soon after that, looking around, finding out who I could talk to and where I could get information and doing a lot of exploration on my own, um, getting frustrated, the lack of knowledge out there and Mm. the lack of people to talk to ultimately led me to you. Okay. I think some of my first um my first experiences around Tantra and around sensual massage was when I encountered you, very enthusiastically jumped in and did a whole bunch of your workshops at the time and I think this is well over a decade ago. And yeah, it's been a very interesting and full and adventuresome journey since then. Mm. Very good one. Yeah, it's a beautiful and it's a fascinating and an, and an endless journey. Absolutely. So I, I keep learning and I was saying to you earlier, it feels like I learn something and I teach something and then I take a step back and I integrate something and you have to learn a little bit more and then come out with something more and teach something more and then step back a bit again and integrate that and it's, yeah. it's cyclical. And keep on doing that. Absolutely. Yeah. There's, there's a lot to learn. Yeah. So, you know, I keep quoting Tom Chi. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard any of his talks. I um, I think one of the foremost thinkers in the world today. And one of his big concepts is that knowing is the enemy of learning. Right. That as soon as we know something, then generally that's all we come out with. Absolutely. And I know that as a teacher and as a practitioner, if I am saying the same thing I was 10 years ago, then... I haven't really learned. Absolutely. And I know some things are the way they are and they work in that way, but we need to keep on learning for ourselves as individuals and bringing that into our work and into our teaching. That's right. And um, the, the work that I do falls under what I call dances with chaos. And, yes. and that is the chaos. The chaos is everything that sits outside of what we know. It's everything that's startling, everything that, that is surprising that we don't yet have the skills to handle that, trips us up that challenges us to develop, to learn something new, to step outside of what we already know. Yeah, and we have to keep doing that. Keep doing it again and again. And and we've got no choice, really, if we don't. Mm. Um, the chaos comes anyway, and we can either fight it or we can learn to dance with it. Yeah, that's it. And I think a lot of people do that. They firstly fight with it, which creates enormous internal struggle. And I think that's the biggest struggle is the internal struggle. Yes. Um, denying who we are on the journey to sexual and sensual authenticity. Yeah. And, and I think a lot of the pain that people experience quite often is, is the resistance that they're feeling inside. Mm. And I think about people I'm working with at the moment in my practice and how much of, 
of, of the pain in their lives is literally from that alone, struggling with who they are. That's right. And coming to terms with that. That's right. And we're under great pressure to be something in particular according to the society that we're living in, according to the culture, according to the expectations of various people around us. And so as much as we're trying to fulfill someone else's idea of who we should be in this life, we not paying attention to who we are and how we want to express ourselves and quite often expressing ourselves stepping out as who we are authentically does come with a little bit of challenge it's uncomfortable um but the pain of holding that back and my experience has been far greater than the small amount of discomfort of stepping into a new aspect of ourselves sure and initially it might be um, feeling of a little bit of shame or embarrassment or a little bit of unsureness, but my gosh, once you've been there, it liberates yeah. tremendously. And you can't go back once the door has opened. You can't go back. It takes a huge weight off your shoulder. <laughs> you feel more enlivened. Yeah, because it takes enormous energy to hold on to the masks, to the armor. That's right. Um, and to compartmentalize our lives. Absolutely. To have these things in these little boxes. Um, where our sexuality is not connected to all that we are. Yeah. And then where where I see it quite a lot, many of the people that I work with are coming into what one could call, say, a midlife crisis, um, and even older in some cases where perhaps the children have now left home. And so all those conditions of what you should be have, have started to fall away. They're already successful. They've made their lives. They've had the kids. They've done everything that was expected of them. Um, and suddenly they're perhaps faced with a divorce situation or something like that. And suddenly those questions come up. Hey, wait a minute. Where was I in all of this? Yeah. And there's a big sadness that comes with that and a big loss and – and I'd like to say a big opportunity that at least now there's a chance to find out, to start stepping outside of those structures and do something different. Find something new about yourself. Go out there and explore. Be adventuresome. Take a, take a risk. Mm. Surprise yourself. Yeah. That's a, it's a big one. Because um, we're not taught that we are important. No. Especially as parents. Um, so who are we in all of this journey? And, you know, I work with a midwife who does water birth. Um, and we've been doing this for a long time. And in the talk that I give, I say to, to a lot of the, the people who are in this class, because a lot of them are first time parents. So they're reasonably young people. Mm. And I say that at some point, these kids are going to leave home and hopefully you are going to be together then. And the kind of relationship you have then is determined by what you do now. Yes. Um, that we need to be taught these and we're not taught how to have good relationships. No, we're not. And so people struggle with it. And of course, as a parent, and I am a parent, I've got, mm. got two children. It feels important for me to learn about relationship for myself so that I am able to teach my children. Because if I'm not learning this and I'm not experiencing it, I'm not going through the pain and the difficulties of coming to a better place in relationship, there's no possible way that I'll be able to teach my children that. Yeah. So it becomes very important for me to be doing this work both with relationship, with my sexuality, and with intimacy, which which really goes across uh, many relationships. It's not just your primary partner, marriage type of relationship. It's mm. really anyone that you come into contact with. We are social beings, um, and we rely on social connection and interaction with people 
to survive in a sense on, on an emotional and, and mental level. Yeah, but even more than that, um, there's a really interesting study that was done through Harvard University. It's the longest running study on happiness in the world, 75-year study on happiness. So the head of whatever department this was at Harvard, whichever head there was, carried the study on for 75 years. And they've come up with some really interesting things. And one of the most important is that the highest factor for happiness over life is relationships. Absolutely. Um, Absolutely. The quality of relationships that we have. Health was secondary to that. Money was secondary to that. If you have those really good relationships – that is the single biggest contributory cause to happiness long term. I can believe that. And to add into that as an absolutely crucial factor is the relationship to yourself. Mm. And I think that goes back to what you were saying earlier about where do we put ourselves as important yeah. in our lives. That relationship, that care um, is what, what fosters the ability for us to have good relationships with other people. So anything, whether it's an intimacy or sexuality, we need to develop that relationship with ourselves and with, with the people that we're around and nurture yeah. those. And the more that we can do that, the more we can go within, the more we can have those kind of relationships. Yes. And I know because a lot of people come and see me whose relationships are struggling or they're looking for something external. And when that external is there, everything's going to be fine and happy. And uh, 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 you've got to go within. And more and more, I see how my work moves to that space. And the beautiful thing about going within is everyone is able to do something about that. When we're waiting for something in the external, some other person, some other thing, whatever it is, to give us this happiness, we don't have any control over that. Yeah, We can try and influence it. Absolutely, but we don't have absolute control. What we do have control over is what we do for ourselves, and yeah. that's empowering. Yeah, so so many people are looking for the right partner, and the right person's going to come along, and everything is going to be amazingly perfect. And uh, there's no right person other than yourself. Other than yourself. I, I have a fun little exercise. I haven't yet had an opportunity to do it, unfortunately, but... Uh, this is my feeling, is write down all the points of your ideal partner. Every yeah. single one, write them down as much detail as you like, and then go through that list really honestly and go, who can meet that? Mm. And and my suggestion is, is when you get to the end of the list, the only person that will actually meet your requirements is yourself. Absolutely. Yeah, and in that we put an enormous amount of pressure on people to be something that they're not, mm. um, the people in our lives. Um, which often dooms something to failure in a way. Yeah. And a lot of that is, is a big part of that is communication. As you were saying, how do you get what you want? How do you ask for what you want? Um, I gave a talk that was really interesting uh, to a group of entrepreneurs on communication, mm. which was a very interesting space for me to be in. Right. Um, all this business jargon flying around and I'm thinking, what are these people actually talking about? It's like, I don't know these things. But then I realized after a while the principles are exactly the same, which is why I was invited there. Um, that, And I started the talk saying something I've never really said before. So I went around the room and I said, what's the purpose of communication? And there were all sorts of things like greater understanding, to connect, all things like that, which are all correct and valid. And then I said something as a starting point, which was that the purpose of communication is actually to create happiness for yourself. 
Hmm. And all of those are a part of that. Creating greater understanding with the people in your life creates greater happiness for you. Great, absolutely. Creates greater peace for you. Hmm. And learning to communicate that, and especially as men, is very often very difficult. Yes, yes. I've been developing a list recently of steps to go through towards creating greater intimacy and one of those points very clearly is communication mm. and it and it's a place where we battle and you you look at the science and the studies that that have been done around communication as humans we don't seem to be that good at it no we're not and so much in our lives could be so different with very clear and open communication yes yes checking assumptions stating what we feel Keeping a hold on things like blame that stop communication. Mm. Yeah. And it's something, I think from the time we're small, we're not taught that. Um, kids are not taught to express who they are. And I see this a lot with men, especially with things like anger and frustration. Um, as, as young children, when we get really angry, we're not allowed to express that or not taught to express that in, in a way that becomes... What expansive, healthy, creative. Um, you know, our parents just say, don't talk to me like that. But we need outlets for that anger. That's right. And I think as men, we put an enormous amount of anger and frustration into our relationships. And a huge part of that is our sexuality. Yeah. Yeah. And which, which, which can feel very not okay to a partner. Yeah, and I remember writing something a while ago that was talking about lingams, about cocks, that penises, cocks have become weapons for weapons, a lot of men. that's right. That it's much more about conquering than about pleasure. Yes, yeah. So I remember a long time ago hearing a talk by a guy called Barry Long. I think he was a British sexologist. And he was talking about welcoming vaginas and friendly penises. <laughs> this very kind of pucker-pucker British accent. But his theory was was that because cocks have become so much more about weapons, that women's bodies have actually tightened up enormously in response to this. Yes. So that welcoming and that opening doesn't happen so much. Yes. Well, we have a beautiful exercise for men to experience what it can feel like for women and to develop a different appreciation for what it means to be penetrated. Are you going to share it or not? You don't have to. I can don't, share don't, it. Don't, I can don't. share it. Just a word of warning. Uh, many people do object to this. They find it a little bit horrifying. But um, exploring with what's known as anal play, and I use the, way, the word play quite specifically rather mm -hmm. than sex, um, is a very vulnerable place for men, very sensitive. But it's, it's a way in which men can experience the quality of being penetrated. And to know what it feels like to have something enter into their bodies uh, might might feel violating, might not. Um, they might see what it feels like to be closed versus receptive and the range of, of experiences in between. And my senses and my experience and, and what, what I do advise to people is if they can find a place to safely explore that, for men who are in heterosexual sexual relationships with women, it can give them a much greater appreciation for how they're interacting with women and women's bodies and vaginas. Mm. Yeah. We talk about that lots because we get lots of questions and we 
it's one of the big topics of the show that comes up again and again is anal play and exploration. Mm. And one of the first things that I always say is if you want to stick something up her butt, she's got to stick something up your butt. Yeah. And it's got to be fair for everybody. Yeah. So what are your general rules for anal play? For anal play. My first general rule there is to tone it down. You say, you say anal sex, and this is why I make the distinction. You say anal sex to, to people and they get a very scary picture yeah. pretty quickly. So, okay, let's, let's take that part out of it for a start. Let's call it play. Play is a beautiful word because in play, you get to explore and experiment and make mistakes and it just takes a little bit of the pressure off, um, and any expectation. And, um, to experiment in safe ways. And one of those is by yourself in a bath with some nice warm water, maybe some candles and some music playing in the background. Why not create a beautiful, luxurious, soft, intimate, caring type of place for yourself that's very nurturing, a little sanctuary, nice little safe place, and and take some time to explore your own anus. Why Mm. not? With your finger. that's, that's, That's doable. It doesn't expose you in any way to another person, so your vulnerability is intact. Um, you can take as much time as you like. You can feel all your repulsion that might come up if that's the case, or, heaven forbid, your pleasure and delight. Absolutely. <laughs> and um, and there's, there's other things as well. If you're going to play with a partner, um, I find cucumbers are very useful aids. They can be shaped. Mm-hmm. Made slightly smaller mm-hmm. and slightly less intimidating. Yeah, there's a range of amazing um, toys designed for anal play. Yeah. Um, we did a show once, which was quite interesting, on home, on how you can use common household items as sex toys. Oh. So, of course, cucumbers came up and so did carrots. But there was a very interesting thing about carrots that I had never thought of before. How do you make a carrot more amenable to sex play? You parboil it. Oh, interesting. Yeah, It'll soften it up slightly. Yeah, and it becomes kind of a little bit more pliable. Yeah, the thing with anal sex is if you've not, if you've not engaged in any kind of anal play before, it is worth getting a little bit of information Mm. first. The anus is a sensitive part of the body. And particularly if it hasn't been explored before, it's going to be a little bit nervous. And it's really useful to take things slowly and gently and softly. Take violence out of it as much as possible. So something that's soft is nurturing and caring mm. towards yourself. It's a self-loving act. Mm. And we need to treat ourselves like that. Yeah, And it's very, um, any kind of anal play and anal massage, I teach that to a lot of people, is incredibly emotional. Yes. And healing. Um, we are definitely a world of tight asses and we hold an enormous amount of emotions anally, men and women. Yes. Um, Chester Maynard, I don't know if you've ever come across his work. He's not alive anymore, but he was like the foremost expert on anal massage in the world. Has a wonderful saying that, um, open your ass and your heart will follow. Ah, I think I have heard that quote. It's beautiful. So, yeah. Cause there's an amazing connection between heart and anus. Yes, and if you realize how much tension is held in the anus mm. and, and you get a sense of how much tension is held in the rest of the body. Yeah. And unfortunately, that seems to be de facto the way we 
walk around in this world at the moment. Yeah. And that's a huge thing with, with, with deepening pleasure. And it's one of the simplest things, but one of the most complex is the more that you relax, the deeper the pleasure. Yes. And it's that simple. Yes. Well, it's that simple until you come into contact with everything that's, that's stopping you from relaxing. That's it. Yes. And that's where the beautiful healing opportunities arise. Yeah. Now, part of your work is movement and dance. That's right. Talk a little bit about that and the impact that that has on, on sensuality, on sexuality. Well, the movement is a meditation of sorts. It's a means to get out of the mind and into the body. We have these amazing bodies that are incredibly expressive, that have a range of sensory experiences, including balance and movement and temperature and touch and a whole bunch of things like that. And yet we tend to stay a lot in our heads. Lots of thought process, working things out, to-do lists, remembering things from the past that maybe have upset us, hoping for things in the future, blah, 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 blah. Not present in the moment. And so the movement is getting into the body, getting really present with a beautiful invitation to move however you want to. There's no rules. There's no way in which you have to move. So the mind doesn't have to get involved. You don't have to think, am I doing this right? What do I need to do next? It doesn't matter. We go back into the body and we listen. And the listening is an important factor, something that, 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 that we need to be retaught. How do we listen to what's happening in our bodies? requires an element of relaxation. And so the movement is a way of working off some nervous energy for a start so that we come into a place of greater stillness so that we can start to relax, we can start to listen more, become more present with ourselves, to know a little bit more about perhaps what our needs are, and to find what is that movement that wants to express. And there's a range of things that can happen there that don't need to be mental processes. Are you angry? Okay, let's dance anger. Let's see what anger looks like mm. when you move it around the floor. How do your arms move? How do your legs move? How does your head move? Are you even aware that you have these different parts of your body that can move? And what's the range of them? And it's going a little bit into that chaos aspect, that, that, that unknown, that place of being able to find something new. When you're given that complete freedom and you've got a little bit of support from music and maybe a little bit of guidance, of you can do whatever you like and find out something more about yourself. And then relating to sexuality, of course, that's getting more into the body. That listening aspect is important. We, Because we're relaxing and dropping the mind, we can access greater levels of sensitivity, of sensuality in our bodies, of aliveness, of expressiveness. And these are all great things to take into intimate experiences. And so a lot of the movement that I do is around bringing people into connection, of working through the barriers that we have around intimacy and connection, finding ways to work with the discomfort of meeting another person in movement. Um, and as people start to drop the armoring around that and find out, oh my, it's awkward here, but you know what, I survived it, and oh, it's awkward here, and oh, but I survived that as well. And then suddenly we get into the space of, oh, this is quite nice. We're no longer thinking about things and we're in the body. Oh, this is, this is quite yummy. Oh, I like this. Mm. And quite often I hear, oh my gosh, why have we not done this before? Yeah. 
And that's the thing, that sensuality and sexuality are in our bodies, and in the embodiment of it is where we meet it and experience it, and also heal it. Yes. And grow it. Yes. Not in our heads. No. Not in our words, not in our minds, but the embodiment of, of who we are. Yeah. So this, you're going, going back to your very first question of how I got into exploring this in the first place, was... That I was in my head. Mm. There was a lot of thoughts about who I was and how I wanted to express sexually and how I behaved and what I wanted, etc., etc. But it was all in my head. It was all thought process. None of it was actual experience. And it's only once we have an embodied, physical, tactile experience that we really develop a richness that we can then take forward into our lives. If it's just thoughts and ideas... It's it's thin. It's, it lacks in substance. Mm. We have an experience, something tangible. We can then use the brain to reflect on it, but it's real. It's it's rich, and and we learn something that we could never learn from just trying to think about it on its own. Yeah, and that's really the purpose of of all of the workshops that we all run is getting yes. into that body yes. and being present in the body. Yes. Feeling. So what you said, for example, feeling anger during dance, during movement in your body. Where is the anger? And really knowing it, exploring it. And knowing that it's valid and it's okay. And anger is a very natural expression and perfectly fine to feel it. And in making it okay within ourselves, we can learn to do it in safe ways where we're not taking anger out on other people or the poor dog. Yeah. And... Just as much as, as that's valid, so is our desire. Yes. And that's what a lot of people tend to block is the desire. Yes. Especially beyond just the need for some kind of, of, of orgasm, of penetration, um, this incredible, rich, and, and literally limitless field of desire. Mm. Yeah, I think people can get a little overwhelmed sometimes. Strangely enough, it's, 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 it's weird because we're in a society that's constantly pushing happiness and desire mm. and pleasure and sexuality is being promoted all over the place. Yet when you present it to people, there's this quality of freezing up. Like it's almost a little bit too much. Yeah. I think because what, what society generally presents as desire is, is very limited. It's very low and it's in a very narrow, um, channel within very acceptable limits. Yes. It's like you can have sex, you can have an orgasm, but you can't have 30 orgasms that are going to take you to a different level of consciousness because that's not part of what our society gives us as sexuality. No. It's a very kind of, oh, I've never kind of really understood it in this way before. Our society gives us a very porn-oriented view of desire. That's right. So, huh, that's really interesting because society generally condemns porn in so many ways, especially with some of the stuff happening in America at the moment with some new leg legislation coming out against sex workers and things like that. But it's amazing that our society wants us to conform to the porn norm of desire. Well, it's, it's consumer-orientated. It's about mm. the quick fix, getting my needs met immediately. Yeah, and not exploring anything more. And not exploring anything more and not not delving into the emotional realms. Mm. Hmm. Very interesting. Never quite thought of it in that way before. Oh, that requires some thought indeed. Oh, I like that. 
And from this, you got into exploring some different aspects of kink and fetish stuff. How did that come about? Well, that's interesting because it's always been there in exploration. But not from a place of having gone into the kink and fetish spaces. Mm. So when I started learning about Tantra and... I'm not going to right now go into what that is because that's a big topic all on its own. The kink was brought in. Like, let's do some, let's do some bondage work to see what emotional experience might come out of that. And then that was the bondage done for that, for that moment in time. You had something, you learned something about yourself. It felt a bit awkward. Maybe there's some emotions that come up. Uh, maybe it felt good, new way to relax, something like that. Okay, fine. Let's step into a place of humiliation, see what that happens. So that, that was all about activating the sort of darker, deeper layers of the unconscious that were looking for some sort of expression, things that needed perhaps an emotional release to work through in order to access greater levels of our sensitivity and our sensuality in our body and be more available to intimacy and connection and our sexuality. So not about the kink fetish world per se, but using it as a very useful device to know ourselves more and to be more available to who we are as sexual beings. So there's intention and purpose. There's intention and purpose. And I find that very valuable. So... I talk about conscious kink as when we draw on kink and fetish elements with that purpose in mind of I want to know more about myself. I want to heal perhaps traumatic experiences that I had as a childhood, either in the conscious or the unconscious realms. I want to free myself of the burden of trauma so that I can be more authentically me and more available to my sexuality and my connections and of of intimacy and relationship. And why did you learn about yourself in that space? Or are learning about yourself in that space? Well, one of the very early lessons I had being painted up with lipstick and stripped down naked yeah. and all sorts of various rather humiliating things done to me in a very safe way. It was a very safe and loving experience. So let's, let's include that. And a little bit of pain involved clothes, pegs and stuff like that. And, and it was an exchange sort of situation. This was on a retreat and there was an exchange. And when the, the place where I was receiving that was, Maybe a little bit humiliating, whatever, but I could handle that. And then when I, when I became the, the, the person who was now giving the experience and the person that, that was receiving this from me at some point just burst into tears. And what I learned about myself had absolutely nothing to do with sexuality whatsoever. I saw how I was as a boss in my business at the time with mm-hmm. my employees. That I wasn't stepping into a leadership role, that I wasn't embracing a position of power, that somehow I was pushing it away and I was shying away. And in that, in that sense, I wasn't being an effective leader. I remember being quite blown away by this. Here we are in this rather bizarre, kinky situation dealing with power exchange, um, 
and there I was reflecting on myself as as a business leader and entrepreneur and as a boss to employees going okay I can see there's something in the way that I've developed into adulthood where I haven't embraced positions of leadership and it's something for me to look at that's a beautiful thing in in the world of conscious sexuality how it connects to every other aspect of our lives every other aspect and how from learning about our sexuality we can see what we're doing in other places and how what we do in other places impacts on our sexuality absolutely so in in those early days when i first met you i was a very shy insecure little boy even though i was in my early 30s um keeping very quiet and the the person that I've become having gone through these journeys has rippled out into all of my life and I definitely feel a lot more confident I'm talking on radio now aren't I yes <laughs> you are <laughs> see lots and lots of people which is really cool yeah, yeah. so so it's had a profound impact on me as a person mm. it's it's huge learning that um, and I talk about that a lot um, that what we can learn from our sexuality does have huge impact on everything else in our lives. Yes. And when we see how we are in the world in general, the impact that that has on our sexuality and how we are in our relationships. Because okay. when you say, for example, how you were as a boss, the same thing becomes apparent in, in the relationships that we have. That's right. That's right. Whether it's directly or whether it's in reverse, which is the other thing that happens. Mm. You get a lot of people who are in very high-powered positions in their workplace um, or in public forums where in their relationships they switch into the opposite, mm. which is totally fine. Um, but if it's in the unconscious, it tends to play out as a game that be can become um, unsatisfying yeah. and, and create, a, create tension in relationship so it's just beautiful you just bring it to the, into consciousness and, and choose this is how I want to be and it's okay mm. but we need to know it first we need to know it first and then we need to give ourselves permission and say it's okay it's alright there's nothing wrong with this mm. And that's the beauty of, of the world of, of, of sexuality and sensuality and uh, let's use the word fetish experiences for now just simply the expression of all that we are yes um, which is really amazing yes that it gives us the possibility to explore all of these different aspects of ourselves yes like for you to have an experience where you're in a much more kind of submissive feminine type space yeah and how does that impact on you and and have it be okay in that moment and also have it not necessarily define us mm. As this doesn't mean this is who I am at all times. I'm just stepping into an opportunity now where I get to express that aspect of me, enjoy it, learn something new about it, and then I can choose something else in the next moment. Mm. And there are so many conversations at the moment about sexual fluidity yes. as opposed to the labels. Absolutely. That as soon as we define ourselves as something, uh, we shut down so many possibilities. It's back to that limited space that we mm. were talking about right in the beginning. Yeah, like a big fear of, of 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 so many men with anal stimulation is that they're going to enjoy it, and what is that going to what do to their self-definition? Yeah. Instead of it's just an avenue of pleasure that expands who I am. Yeah, and if it's enjoyment and it feels good, why put a label on it yeah. other than this feels good for me, it feels healthy, no one's being harmed, it's all consensual. These are just really some of the baselines. Why not? Yeah. And there are so many conversations at the moment in men's circles about what that means. Um, 
so many men who have defined themselves as straight are, are having experiences with other men that are sensual, that are not necessarily sexual, some are more so. Um, but all of a sudden, we're understanding there might be no such thing as a straight man in terms of the full definition of that. It, it's a range. It's a range. And we can fit anywhere in that range that, that, that we want to, and that can change at any point in time, whether it's moment to moment or day to day or in different periods of our life. Absolutely. And it's beautiful to have the fullness of that, yeah. um, to be dominant, to be submissive, to give, to receive, to share, and just literally to be. Mm. Full range of who we are. Mm. And that's one of the things to understand that we're sexual beings, not necessarily sexual doings. Sexual beings, and when we can embrace that as consciously as possible, then we have an opportunity to be responsible and to take care for ourselves, mm. and to treat others with respect, which is an important topic that's coming up at the moment as well. Yeah, it's a huge one, especially in the world of Tantra. Yes. Um, so many conversations around that. Yeah. So taking it back to the fetish kink side of things, this has been one of my more recent learnings and, and, and why I'm exploring into the conscious kink is that they work a lot in those areas of consent, of negotiating, of expressing what their desires are, asking for what they want, that 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 exists in the kink in environment. Mm. Um, they don't always get it right necessarily, which is totally fine. It's part of the learning experience. But what I'm enjoying is that at least there's a conversation about it. Yeah, and they're being open. And when there are mistakes made. People are taking responsibility for it. They're owning it. They're expressing it. They're getting support. And they're going, where can we learn and find out more and improve? Yeah. So that we're creating more wholesome, more respectful experiences for each other. Yeah. And a lot of that is is a lot of consent and a lot of conversation. Um, I was reading some stuff this week. is actually coming into sexual experiences moment by moment. Yes. Um, because most of our sexual experiences tend to follow a pattern. So most people do the same thing in the same way yes. almost every time they have sex. You know, we touch, we kiss, I lick you, you suck me, we have sex, and that's kind of what we do. It's the paint by dots. There we go. Instead of creating the experience literally minute by minute. Absolutely. Okay, and that was really cool. Thank you very much. Now let's add a little bit of this and now a little bit of that and let's change this and let's try this. And, and then in the next moment it could stop entirely and that absolutely. should be totally okay. Yeah. Um, absolutely beautiful to begin to develop that level of sensitivity and drop the expectation that an experience needs to be anything in particular so that in one moment something that's entirely consensual, entirely pleasurable can switch in an instant and one of the people can go, suddenly, no, this doesn't feel okay anymore. Mm. And then you go, okay, well, this is now what we're doing. We're now doing this does not feel okay. And if you're not going into drama about it, you can hold space for the yeah. other person to have an emotional experience. Something might be coming up for them. And to be able to respect that develops an incredible sense of trust and safety that makes their no totally valid and their emotional experience totally valid and creates greater opportunities for developing intimacy in the future. Yeah. And it's there's huge learning in that about dropping the stories around it mm. because we create the story and then we give the story more power 
than yes. what's happening. Yes. Instead of, okay, this is not okay. And then we go into the, why is this not okay? And what am I doing? And what are you doing? And all of the dynamics around that instead of, wait a minute, let's just talk about why it's not okay. Back to the communication. There we go. Yeah. And not the, the story and the drama. and uh, Yeah, let's check it out. Let's unpack it. Let's see what's going on. Or if we're not ready to do that, at least let's stop the story for the moment and just mm. be present and feel and, and allow what's happening to take place. Yeah. And that's very much, in my work, I move very much more into the idea of questions rather than answers. Mm. It's like people come and they say, so this is the problem. How do we fix it? And I say, I have no idea. Ask another question. That's it. But let's see. Let's explore. And let's create some possibilities for you guys to fix whatever's going on and to make it a little bit different. And to do that, we have to back away from wanting to know wanting to fix and wanting to know why and that's mm. the worst question you can ask is why but so much of our world and so much of psychology is around we've got to explain it we've got to know why and when we have a reason we'll know you won't know because you know why you're doing something does that mean you know how to change it or do it differently no you don't all that you know is why and maybe you don't know why. Carry on. We don't know why. And so long as we don't know why, there's something far more valuable that mm. that we can start to know. And that's what we're feeling. Yeah. And that's the And importance. learning to express that. And just simply noticing and expressing and making it okay. This is what's going on mm. for me. This is how I'm feeling. Don't need to understand why. This was one of my big realizations around Tantra when I started working with Tantra. Oh, gosh, I don't need to know what's going on. Mm. What liberation. There's some, something's happening in my body, some emotion. I feel like crying now. <laughs> and I don't know why it is. No, hey, that's okay. I can just let it happen. Yeah. And what can I do with it? Be present with the feeling. Mm. And that's amazing. And there is such freedom in that as, as humans. It's, it's incredibly liberating. And it really, it allows us to free so many other aspects of our lives as well. Yes. When I gave this talk to this group of entrepreneurs, one of the things was I said was that the way that you run your business is the, the way that you have sex and vice versa. And there was all this, yeah, yeah, what are you talking about? And I asked questions like, think about what you fear sexually and think about what you fear in your business space. And think about how creative you'll be sexually. How creative will you be in your business sense? Mm. Mm. And the parallels become amazing. Mm. And then we take that into every other area of our lives. And I think the biggest fear that comes up for most people is I can really have pleasure in every area of life. I can really succeed. I can really be happy. Because what the heck are we going to do when we're happy? It's like if I phone you up and I say, Stephen, I've got a problem. And you're going to say, oh, tell me about it. And we're going to talk about it for hours and hours and hours. And I phone you and I say, I'm having a really good day. And you say, oh, that's cool. And then what? <laughs> so I think we kind of have that fear to some extent of that. Absolutely. I had some of the early work that I did, this was bef before meeting mm. you, one of the teachers I had at the time used to say, well, we've got this pile of shit in front of us and we do all this work and we clear it up and then everything's all perfect. And then what? Yeah. 
Well, we create some more shit. It's the most interesting thing. <laughs> what are we going to do when we... Otherwise, how are we learning? How are we growing? How are we developing? So if everything's going all smoothly, and I used to notice this in myself, there's this moment of like, okay, everything seems totally okay. I'm really nervous now. What's going to happen next to yeah. throw this off balance? Wait for it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're up in Joburg. You live in Cape Town. That's correct. And you're doing some workshops. Yes. What are you doing? I'm working, so tonight I'm doing a talk on conscious kink, mm-hmm. just to introduce that, that, that concept and, and lay a little bit of groundwork for that. Um, but mostly what I'm doing up here is working with two concepts. One is loving touch and the other is um, activating the senses of the body. Okay. And where can people get more information? More information on the Dances with Chaos Facebook page. Mm-hmm. Uh, under the events, everything is listed there. Cool. So visit Dances with Chaos on Facebook and you'll get all the information. Yeah. Cool. Auto Assassinophilia. Genius in the corner. <laughs> <laughs> so Auto Assassinophilia is coming close to death during sex. Ah. Bringing yourself close to death during sex so when i first read this i kind of i was talking to my daughter at breakfast this morning we're talking about how do you actually express this which is interesting beyond like the auto asphyxiation Hmm. like do you play russian roulette during sex do you have sex like hanging off a cliff what do you actually do it's quite an interesting concept and possibility well although considering that the french word for orgasm and i'm going to get the pronunciation wrong i'm sure (laughs) le petit mot is the little death death yeah and uh, i remember seeing a um i don't know what to call it it was a website it was a project Uh that that someone did where they got people to Send in little video clips of their face at the point in time that beautiful agony. Beautiful agony. That was it. Yes, does that still exist? Yeah. Fantastic. Check it out. Beautifulagony.com. And you look at people's faces when they're having orgasm, and it does look excruciatingly painful in many respects. The difference. It's a very thin line. Yeah. Absolutely. Very cool. Thank you for sharing with me this morning. It's mm. been really cool to, to see you and to chat. It's been a pleasure to chat with you again. Yes. I have indeed missed right. missed our meetings. That's really, really cool. Um, so visit Dances with Chaos on Facebook. You'll see what Stephen's doing this weekend. Um, Tuesday night, I am doing a wonderful workshop on communication and sexual communication. So you'll learn how to talk to each other, how to listen to each other. And that is all on www.eroslife.co.za. And all of the information on our retreat in Mozambique is up. And the links are on Facebook. They're on Eros Life. Um, the program for the retreat in Mozambique seriously is life-changing. And there's not a lot of hype about it. It's really simple. You are going to have an amazing experience. You are going to learn some skills that are really going to give you the tools to make huge changes in your life and relationship. And it's that simple in this absolutely magical place. And I would love to share it with you. So all of that's available. And I wish you all so much pleasure. This is CliffCentral.com.